Hey, Vince Mancini here. So we couldn't do a regular episode of the Frogcast this week, seeing as how everyone's traveling somewhere for Thanksgiving. Uh, however, knowing that lots of frocketeers out in Frotland will also be traveling for Thanksgiving and desperately looking for some hot hashtag content to keep them busy, I couldn't just leave you with empty ear holes. So even though we don't have a regular frot with the frot gang this week, uh, I do have this interview I did with John Ronson uh, about the butterfly effect. Um, if you don't know John, he is a British journalist who has written many fine books, uh, including Men Who Stare at Goats and So You've Been Publicly Shamed. I definitely recommend the shaming book uh, if, for anyone who wants to understand the, the online lynch mob. That's a pretty good one. Uh, he also wrote the, co-wrote the movie Okja. Ok- I, uh, I probably should have asked him how to pronounce that. Uh, anyway... The Butterfly Effect is uh, his six or seven part podcast that he did uh, about the advent of free internet porn and all the ripple effects it's had across porn and larger society. Um, and if you look at how tech affects porn, you can kind of imagine how it applies to the rest of the economy. Um, anyway, I hope you enjoy it. You get to hear me fangirl out, so that's cool. Uh, apologies in advance for some of the audio. It's a phone interview. Only so much I can do about the audio quality on the other end. I think most of it's all right, though. Anyway, uh, I'm very thankful for all of you, especially those of you who donated at patreon.com slash fraudcast. Enjoy and fraud on. Hello. Hello, is this John? Yeah. Hey, it's Vince Mancini from Uprock. I just want to say I'm a huge fan. I really like this. Uh, I mean, I love the butterfly effect a lot. I mean, I like your old stuff, but uh, I've been writing about porn <laughs> for a while, and I never really had the resources to cover it in a way that I wanted to, and this was kind of what I always wished, the story I'd always wished I, I could have told, and I really liked it a lot. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really, I'd really like it. I love I loved the experience of doing it, and I... I love the kind of, you know, what we ended up with. And, and it's true, like, you know, the, you, like, it's hard to find anyone to give you those kinds of resources, mm-hmm. um, you know, for you to just basically just hang around porn sets for a year. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's sort of hard to convince people to give you money for that. Sure. Um, but, uh, but luckily, uh, luckily um, Audible, you know, Sort of didn't mind. Yeah. Um, um, can you tell me about the concept of it and uh, just how it came about? Sure. I think, um, you know, I think there's always, like, with everything that I do, there's always, like, a few kind of origin moments. And um, one of them was definitely, the you know, the, the, the way that I start the story, that I was at the, I was at the Chateau Barmont meeting this... Um, you know, this porn star is the first time I'd ever met a porn star before. And, you know, um, everybody else in the lobby, I mean, you, you know, you know, it's like, you know, everyone else in the lobby was wearing like James purse, you know, greys and blues, just like me. Um, and, you know, but Princess Donna was dressed, you know, this incredibly kind of exotic manner. And, and I just noticed the receptionist at the, uh, you know, at, at the, you know, behind the desk, looking at her with this look of, you know, contempt, like, what are you, what are you doing in my vicinity? 
And it, and it just sort of set my mind thinking about, um, you know, people's complicated relationships with porn, like, like they're fine with it when it's on their computers, but, you know, but, but not when it's in their actual, you know, vicinity. Um, and, and all the kind of cognitive dissonance that goes along with that. Um, you know, there's that moment in the series when that girl from um, New Orleans says, I asked her, you know, she, you know, she'd admitted that she was watching Pornhub in a kind of radical honesty session, and she uh, uh, asked her if she ever got to know their names, and she said, no, you don't name them. I, don't name, I didn't learn their names. It's like when you kill a deer, you don't name it because then you can't eat it. <laughs> right. So, <which> is, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's such a great evocative. I mean, I would never think of that as a as a metaphor because I you know <laughs> I don't go up and kill any deer <laughs> it's like the last metaphor I'd think of um, but um, uh, yeah so that sort of got me thinking about how on the internet we don't think about consequences and you know that, and that, and that scene sort of I think runs through my book so you've been publicly shamed about how we you know we destroy people and then come up with psychological tricks to not feel bad about the bad things that we do, you know, especially on the internet. Right. So, so I think all of those things led me to, uh, you know, to, to want to do something about the tech takeover of the porn industry right. and how, because, because basically, you know, I started after meeting princess Donna in, in that hotel lobby, um, I started reading kind of blogs written by porn people and, and I went on message boards. I, I remember I read Stoyer's blog and I went on some kind of message boards for people who work in the porn industry. And, and you know, the same name kept coming up. It's Fabian. You know, everybody was really angry with Fabian. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I, so I thought, well, well, who's Fabian? And that's when the whole story about, you know, the way that Pornhub, you know, took over the valley. Right. Um, that's, that's why I first learned about it. So... When you're pitching this, like how do you, how do you get people to care about a story that they think is just about porn? Um, you know, it, it it wasn't. I think the first time I pitched it to Audible, I pitched it on the I, I pitched it on the basis of the kind of structure, the narrative structure. I said I want to do this thing about butterfly effects. I want to um, I want to start with you know a tiny idea just some tiny thing and then trace its consequences out and out and out um and i said maybe one episode will be about porn about you know the tech takeover of the porn industry and i think it was the fact that i said maybe one episode will be about <laughs> porn is it's, it's what, what kind of you know made them okay about it because yeah. of course you know not long you know not long into the process i thought if you're going to do a whole thing about a butterfly effect it'll be so much more exciting, you know, as a storyteller to make the entire series about a single butterfly effect. So Um, did you know, like, did you know going in that it was going to be mostly about porn and you just pitched it that way as a strategy or did you, were you, um, or did that come about as you were making it? Maybe I kind of half knew, but but I was like keeping my options open. Um, but, But pretty, pretty quickly into the process. You know, pretty, you know, like as soon as we went to the valley and I started learning about, 
you know, these kind of amazing consequences. Because um, some of the consequences you can really, you know, you can imagine, like you can imagine that when all the money flows from the San Fernando Valley into Fabian's pockets, um, you know, you're going to get people going out of business and, and um, you're going to get porn, porn actors going into escorting to pay the rent. Um, but then I heard about these other consequences that were so much less, you know, so much more unexpected, like um, like the way that search engine optimization is sort of taken over the industry, mm-hmm. and, and all the films have to be called things like Stepdaughter, Cheerleader, Orgy, because they have to like pile as many um, <laughs> searchable terms into their titles, and then and then that has an impact not only on the titles of the films but the films themselves, and then that has this kind of incredible impact on like people who aren't keyword searchable, <laughs> right. like the twenty five year old adult film actress who's too old to be a teen and too young to be a milf, and yeah. that's a you know that's such a kind of resonant consequence because I think that's like the internet all over. Right. I've kind of joked a couple of times that like as a kind of left leaning political moderate on Twitter. You know, I'm like the 25-year-old adult film actress. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not a teen and I'm not a MILF. I just have to, like, sit there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, let, me, let me back up. Can you explain uh, f- this guy, Fabian, and how he became the most powerful person in porn? Sure. Um, it was, you know, it was always going to happen. Like, porn, um, por- you know, as you know, you know, porn has always been... Well, the story about porn is that it's always been at the forefront of technological change. So, you know, it was porn that sort of began the VHS revolution and 16 millimeter and all of that stuff. And, you know, there's like historians have sort of, you know, have told that story before, but, but it wasn't true with the internet. Um, porn dropped the ball when it came to the internet. Um, you know, YouTube was beginning to thrive, yet porn was still this kind of lumbering, um, you know, complicated presence on the internet where you'd have to, you know, give your credit card details to strangers or, you know, all all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So it was bound to happen that somebody would come up with the idea of YouTube for porn. Um, And basically it was, well, it was created by these two brothers in Montreal, um, but they... They found it, you know, so they, they invented Pornhub, but they found it really stressful because their parents, I think they were from quite a religious Muslim family, I, I think. I, I may be wrong about that, but yeah. I think so. Um, and, uh, and so when their parents came to visit them in the office, like, like they didn't know. They didn't know that they were running Pornhub. Uh, so they had to, they had to like, shut off their computers if their parents <laughs> came to visit. Um, so Fabian had had this brainwave. Fabian was just a kind of tech nerd in Brussels. And, you know, he had this brainwave that, that porn was kind of a lamb to the slaughter, like somebody with tech expertise to just swoop in and take over. And so the way that Fabian went about doing that was, you know, he bought Pornhub off his brothers. Um, and then he managed to convince the hedge fund to give him this $362 million loan uh, to basically take over the industry because Pornhub um, was kind of killing, killing all the mom and pop businesses. Um, you know, they were all panicking because, you know, their stuff had all been like pirated and, you know, mm-hmm. on Pornhub. Um, and so Fabian came in and bought all these companies at cut price rates. 
and uh, it is kind of extraordinary when you think about it. It's like Walmart. It's like Walmart coming into a town. Um, Walmart customers would steal groceries from the shelves of the mom and pop companies, and then Walmart would then buy up the mom and pop companies that cut price. Yeah, and who were sort of des- desperate to sell because all their stuff had been stolen and shoved on the shelves of Walmart. I mean, that's the analogy. I mean, that, um, that was going to be my my uh-huh. next sort of question was like whether you think this story has larger implications for the rest of the economy and like how would you compare this model to mm-hmm. the way the rest of tech and and disruption work, where a couple companies come in and they use venture capital money to sort of take over an industry, right? And it's um, yes, I think it's, it's very resonant and and people, you know, I think until my series came out maybe people didn't think of it as being resonant because people don't think of porn as being resonant basically mm-hmm. um so you know people would complain about um it happening in music but you know but nobody really cares like nobody even cared when musicians would complain about their royalties you know going down to nothing because they you know, Napster, and then eventually, you know, Spotify and after music and so on. So nobody cared when musicians complained about it. So, you know, nobody cared when porn people complained about it because they cared about porn people. Um, and, and the reason why nobody cares about porn people is because um, everybody feels too guilty about watching porn. So it comes from, you know, it comes from a place of hypocrisy. Um, so, yeah, I think it's very, it's very resonant. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the dream of the internet used to be that companies that didn't have a lot of money or overhead could compete with the big ones. Like with this, isn't this sort of uh, the opposite? Is that like, do you you think this is an example of the opposite starting to be true that unless you have access to that venture capital that you can't compete? Um, Yeah. You know, it's funny, people are only just beginning to sort of, you know, think about tech in these critical terms. Um, I remember, about, you know, as, early, as, as, as recently as like 2012, you know, when I started writing my book about public shaming, then you should call it, you should call it tax. Um, when I started um, writing a book about public shaming, like people were like, oh, do you really want to write something about tech, you know, tech's so boring, nobody cares about tech, mm-hmm. you know, no one's thinking about it, it's just dull, the internet is not the real world, I remember somebody said that to me in about 2012, and it's like only now, you know, that people are beginning to change their minds about all of that stuff and, and think critically about, you know, it, it took years to, um, it took years you know, it feels to me like tech was completely decimating the world without any scrutiny for a long time. Um, you know, in 2015, I, I, um, I remember I did this, when my public shaming book came out, um, I did this talk in Santa Cruz, and there was this elderly lady in the front row who was like shaking, kind of very pointedly shaking her head in disagreement with everything that I was saying uh-huh. throughout the entire talk. And then when it came to the Q&A, she like immediately put her hand up. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And she said, uh, 
She said, well, if you play with the Twitter toy, because I was telling the story about people being like, destroyed on Twitter. Uh-huh. And she said, well, if you play with the, with the Twitter toy, it's your own fault if you get hurt. Um, so what she was saying is that, you know, Twitter doesn't mean anything. It's just this little bubble that, that doesn't mean anything, doesn't have any, you know, any consequence or resonance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, so as, as late as 2015, that was like the kind of general view about the tech world. Like it doesn't really have any consequence or resonance. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anybody feels that way now, just two yeah. years later, you know, now, now that we have a Twitter president yeah, and, yeah, exactly. you know, uh, and, and, you know, finally all the scandals are beginning to break about, you know, Uber and, and yeah. so on. The worst, so, of the, um, the worst of the comment section controlling the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and I tried to, you know, I don't want to sound like too prophetic, but I was, you know, I tried to, you know, the point about my public shaming book was, was I was going to say to people, you know, there are real world consequences to things to do online. You know, people kill themselves and, yeah. and, it's, and it's turning political discourse into this, you know, kind of frightening, polarized thing. And, and um, um, you know, and, and, you know, now, of course, nobody has any doubts about that stuff. Yeah. Um, going back to the uh, some of the performers... Can you explain what happened uh, with Dale DeBone? Yes. So <clears throat> he's a very light internet story. Um, but Dale was a, was a big, you know, as, as, as you know, I'm sure you know, um, women don't tend to stay around very long in porn because, you know, unless you're a kind of exceptional person who can still become like a, a porn star. But men tend to stay around a lot. You know, we saw the same men over and over again. Whereas we rarely saw the same woman twice. Um, and um, Del DeBone was one of those men who stayed around for like decades. Um, but he kind of got out, you know, he saw how Pornhub was taking over the world and his rates were, you know, going down, you know, in the toilet. Like, you know, he, he said to me he was working, you know, by the time the internet took over, he was working three times as hard to make three times less money. And um, so finally he got out and went into nursing um, and he became like this very good nurse. But because of Pornhub, um, suddenly he became like much more recognizable. So like he got out of the industry because of the rise of tech taking over the industry. And then when he got out and started working as a nurse, you know, everybody started recognizing him much more because all of his films were there on Pornhub. Um, these thousands of films that he'd made were there for everyone to see on Pornhub. Um, so he became much more recognizable. And um, and then, you know, inevitably the human resources department of his, of his hospital said, you know, are you Dale the Bone? And he said, yeah. And he said, well, we have to fire you because, you know, if anybody ever accuses you of sexual harassment, you're going you're gonna to lose big because um, if you pull it out. So, yeah, so, so Dale lost his job and became, and the last time I spoke to him was just a few weeks after he, uh, you know, had kind of drunk himself into oblivion. Um, and, uh, you know, because he said for the first time he felt like hopeless. Yeah. So, so I, 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 hope and, I hope he's okay now, you know, and I'm, I, you know, I'm pretty resilient and smart, so I'm sure he'll bounce back. I was going to ask if you had an uplifting uh, update for me on that. <laughs> 
because <laughs> uh, selfishly no, hoping. no, oh no. I, 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 I've kept in touch with lots of the porn people, um, especially the bespoke people like um, Casey Calvert and Damon Rihanna and Mike Quasar, but uh, but I haven't kept in touch with them, so I have no idea. Uh-huh. Um, on that note, like, do you find it, and I don't, I don't know how to say this in a way that doesn't, that isn't like potentially un PC, but is it strange that you can fire, that you can't fire someone for, you know, like being gay or being something, but you can fire someone for having done porn 10 years ago? Right. I mean, exactly. This is, um, you know, we're always looking for people to stigmatize, right? And it's like, uh, What's that mythological person like when you cut off, I don't know, somebody with like a serpent's the hair or something, oh. and when you like cut off one and another one grows in its place. And that's the same with people that we want to stigmatize and demonize in society. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, there's a whole bunch of people who used to be stigmatized who aren't anymore. So we look for other people. So we look, you know, the porn stars, porn people are still very heavily stigmatized. You know, even in this, this kind of comparatively sex positive age, um, you know, where people on the left are feeling much more... I, I say comparatively sex-positive because, like, if you look at... Um, if you look at sort of the way that Monica Lewinsky was treated just, you know, in the 90s mm-hmm. as being this kind of, you know, slutty deserved everything that she got. You know, I mean, society has changed to some extent because I don't think she would be treated that way again anymore. But... You know, and a lot of people on the left are becoming much more sex positive, and I think a lot of feminists are less anti-porn than they used to be, and, right. uh, and so on. Um, but number, and you know, Twitter has humanized a lot of porn people. Um, you know, in, in some ways, anyway. Um, you know, and I've got my friends Christina and Corinne who do the podcast. Guys, we fucked are like incredibly, you know, popular. Um, but but for all of that, I think porn women are still like massively stigmatized. You know, if they, they they stay in porn for a couple of weeks because there's such a massive turnaround. Again, because the porn hub, you know, there's this kind of huge turnaround, and then they go back and they're just living in fear that you know they're going to be exposed and fired from right. you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So so and and that's something that really interests me. You know, in in you know, trying to tell the stories about people who are still considered shameworthy. So porn people are still considered shameworthy. Um, you know, the people in my public shaming book are still considered shameworthy. Um, yeah. Um, so do you do you find any parallels between the way we treat porn stars and the way uh, and, and like other industries? Um. Uh, I think, oh, my cat's here. Okay, I can keep talking now. Okay. Um, it's funny, I was talking, when I first started doing this, I was talking to my friend, uh, the musician, Emmy the Great, you know, who was complaining about her money going, you know, right down, you know, because of Spotify and so on. And I said, well, well at least you don't need to have sex with your fans. Uh, and she said, well, not yet. Um, so <laughs> So I do think porn people, porn people do, I think, have it, have it worse in, in, in that kind of regard because they're so stigmatized and people care about them so little. Um, but, you know, the way that, 
the internet cut a swath through the porn world is pretty similar to the way it cut a swath through so many other worlds. Right. Um, their music, journalism, although I sort of think journalism is bouncing back a little bit, right? With, yeah. you know, all these new subscriptions to the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Guardian and stuff. Um, so there's a little bit of renaissance in journalism, but, but, you know, effectively what the internet did to porn, you know, it did to so many other businesses. Right. Um, on that note, I was when you were interviewing some of the Manwin people, I felt like I could sense you trying to cut through this sort of techie, utopian uh, corporate ease that they sort of speak in. Like, do you think that's true? Can you, I mean, what was it like mm. trying to get those quotes from those people? Um, yes, well, exactly. They're techie utopians, so they just can't, you know, I mean, there was that really telling moment when. I said to Brandon, you know, maybe you should have, uh, you know, Brandon is that head of Paul Tech's mobile division. And I said, um, can you just get some of the Um, and I, um, and I said to him, um, you know, would you, you know, basically would it be a good idea if somebody had spent time on Paul Tech, um, uh, so you can see the consequences of your actions. And he said, you know, he kind of sighed and said, oh, their livelihood, okay, let's talk about their livelihood, you know what I mean? Um, but not because he's a bad person, of course he's not, you know, because all, you know, all tech people are like this. They, they, they're utopians, and utopians, just like any kind of fundamentalist, you know, just can't bring themselves to think about the negative consequences of what they do. So I thought that was a really interesting and telling moment. You know, I wasn't in any way trying to sort of, um, you know, um, to put Brandon as some sort of example of some sort of bad business practice because he's just very representative of like all of tech. Right. Um, sorry, yeah. I'll, one more question and I'll let you go. Um, so I'm sorry if I'm sounding slightly distracted because honestly I'd rather be doing this in a quiet room. <laughs> no, like, understandable. You know, something that happens, so, yeah. You know. Um, uh, t- uh, how much did you come to understand about affiliate marketing through this, and and what did you learn? Um, yeah, well, I knew nothing about affiliate marketing. I've never even heard the phrase. Um, but then, yeah, I learned this really interesting thing about because I was because I had this really, I had a pretty interesting Ashley Madison um, because I backed up that was another. Um, well, as Glenn Greenwald said to me, really interestingly, like in the old days, it would have been the right. It would have gone after the adultery of the last election. But now it's the left. Um, and I thought that was, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way, but he was absolutely right. You know, the, you know sexual prurience, um has has kind of moved in a way from the right to the left to, to an extent. And uh, I'd also... Um, the day that Ashley Madison happened, I sent out a tweet. I, I set up like an email account and I said, like, if anybody has been, you know, affected by Ashley Madison, you know, send me your stories. And I got maybe like 10 or 15 people like that day emailing me to say, you know, I'm living in terror. I've been found out. You know, I, um, you know, I signed up in this sort of moment of self-loathing three years ago and I never met anyone. And, but now I'm looking in terror that I'm going to be found out. And, um, 
I was really interested in all of that stuff, but I didn't know how I was going to fit it into the series. And then, you know, we discovered that the rise of Ashley Madison was like hand in hand with the rise of Pornhub, you know, to affiliate marketing. That I can't remember the exact figure, but it was something like 80% or, you know, a huge percentage of, of everybody who signed up to Ashley Madison did it via Pornhub. So... Um, and in fact, I didn't put this in the series, but Fabian said to me that Ashley Madison at one point asked him if he wanted to buy the company. Um, mm-hmm. And he said no, because he found it disreputable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's how... And they're both Canadian companies, you know. I think um, uh, Pornhub's in Montreal and Ashley Madison was in Toronto, if my memory serves me well. But, but yeah, they were really linked, you know, geographically and you know, tonally and, and uh, you know, financially, they were, like, hugely linked. Yeah. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go because you've given me a lot of time and I really appreciate it. Okay, thanks for that. All right. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.